Psychology in Seattle. So, Umbeto, it's the end of the quarter for me, which means that I have a couple weeks off from the university. And I have been finally able to catch up on all my work and all my little projects. And one of the things that is always high on my list, but kind of uh, something that I have to wait until I get other things done, is catching up on emails. And I've been catching up on emails from my end, but I also thought you and I should catch up on emails from the listeners that, mm. are, that are addressed to you and to me. Yes. We will read the questions online mm-hmm. here on the podcast. Then I will ask you to answer the question, and mm-hmm. then I will also answer the question. We will have some entertaining yet educational banter mm. back and forth. Maybe we'll get into a fight. Maybe I'll be a dick to you, and you'll confront me, and I'll apologize. I'm getting turned on. Uh, And we'll just have to see what happens, because, you know, that's the nature of an unscripted, unplanned, but lightly outlined podcast plan. What do you say, Umbeto? That sounds uh, uh, unplanned. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I am a stunt double. Okay, so this first email is from, while I sort of get my shit together, uh, this first email is from patron Izzy. Izzy Hmm. says, uh, I'm wondering if you would be interested in talking about cancel culture. Cancel culture. Do you know of that thing? Yeah, like when some celebrity or someone that's got a TV show or something says or does something that is met with disapproval, and then there's some petition or some initiative, people get outraged, there's online petitions, things, and the show gets canceled, or they want the show to get canceled, or they want their book to get canceled, or whatever. Yeah, I think it's become broader than that. I mean, that was the original, it was Mm -hmm. like Roseanne Barr being canceled. I think it's broader than that now, where... uh, any famous person can have a gaffe of some kind, mm-hmm. and the internet and Twitter explodes uh, asking for that person to be banned right. uh, or boycotted or whatever. And so, uh, as he says, namely the psychological effects of being canceled and shunned and attacked by people online, the mindset of people who are very reactive to controversy and will cancel others. And possible reasons this seems to have become, and, and possible reasons, this seems to have become so prominent in today's society. I'm interested to hear your take on this phenomenon. Do you think there are situations that no one should be allowed to recover from or that everyone deserves a second chance? Umbeto, what do you think? Yeah, it makes me sick to my stomach, actually, because what comes to mind is uh, mob outrage throughout history. Uh, now, on the one hand, you you need mob outrage to change embedded systems. And so, like, you couldn't have had revolutions without mob outrage. And a few people have leveraged mob outrage to their to their benefit. And, and or any of the activist actions that have gone on in right. our society right. since the beginning of our society, including the civil rights movement in the 60s, the uh, Me Too movement, the Women's March. Yeah. Uh, and so right. what I would say is like the, the difference, if I could draw a difference, would be 
some of the cases that we would that most of us anyways or many of us progressive folk would would applaud and think that not only is there nothing wrong with them but it, they created uh, a real good did that stop no oh, okay um is we're random. Uh, I just saw. I just saw it stop. So I was like, "Oh, yeah." Thanks for checking. Yeah, uh, I just zoomed out. I see. And so it just looks. All right. So, uh, boom. So what I think of uh, things like the women's uh, women's rights, uh, the say Martin Luther King, um, big social movements. These weren't one off, like. Oh, I just read something that upset me. Let's just go riot and destroy property or something. These were well-crafted, literally, like, very intelligently led uh, long-term opposition movements. Okay, good. I I like where you're going with this, and I agree. But there are examples of uh, positive... Uh, uprisings that were not organized. I believe the Stonewall, yeah. uh, uh, what do you call it, the Stonewall protest or the Stonewall um, situation for yeah. for gay people was uh, born randomly, yeah. from my understanding, because of a buildup of anger and activist energy that just sort of the you know the spark lit the dry leaves and boom. It was not planned, yeah. that sort of thing. So I guess maybe I'm develop. So I'm developing this theory in real in real time. There there seems to be a second category that might be, hey, look, we in some sort of community are being directly affected by something, probably for a while, and it's reached the boiling point, and we're not going to take it, and so we're going to protest, we're going to uh, you know march, we're going to uh, walk out, we're going to you know do something, right? We're going to quit, whatever, yeah. Uh, I get it. I'm also, I like where you're going. I'm going to inter- okay. interrupt you again. Okay. I'm going to annoy all those people who hate no, no, it. No, this is good Good interruption because, you know, I said uh, my point. The, the uh, other thing I'll say in relation to what you're saying is that at the time of these protests and uprisings that we currently agree with, in fact, many Republicans agree with at this point because there's sure. enough history to allow that to happen, the... Uh, Perspective at the time, even from middle America, was not positive on these uprisings. When Stonewall happened, even when the civil rights were happening in the South among black people and and white people, uh, some white people marching alongside – Average American, we, we look back and we're like, oh, you know, obviously uh, Jim Crow South was wrong. Obviously, you know, police brutality on black people right. on that level was wrong. Obviously, segregation is wrong. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's obvious. It was not obvious right. to the average American of that time in the 60s. A lot even black people were saying like, well, you know, segregation has its, has its positives, you know, um, it's the way it's always been. If it, there was, there's always been pushback. That's why these things happen is because they're the, the minority wise voice. Right. And the way that we see it today, when we look at online stuff is, uh, has to be, we have to consider that into our equation. Like, am I, are my negative feelings about this cancel culture uh, going to be – am I going to look back on on even my own thoughts 30 years from now and think I was sort of on the wrong side of history? Right. And so I think th- maybe the biggest common difference is on the one side we have examples of a group of people 
fighting for injustice that they feel is being or has been or is continued to be perpetrated upon them. Uh, and what they're fighting for, it might involve individuals, certainly, like, hey, this factory owner and stuff like that. But they're actually fighting a system. The thing they're after isn't just, hey, well, we want that dude to apologize to us, right? They want, like, better pay, inc- inclusion in voting, like, permanent societal changes to make them better, or at least uh, industry changes. Like, you can't keep having us work in a coal mine where we die, or, or stuff like this, right? And also, to counter that, where you're going with that, is there were segre- there was segregation in the South where uh, there were... Uh, black pe- colored bathrooms and white people mm-hmm. bathrooms. There were colored seats and there were white people seats. And uh, in many of these instances, many not, the uh, the venues were equal in terms of uh, the seats were just as good for the colored people as it was for the white people. Uh, and the uh, the argument could be made that well, why are you protesting separation or why are you pro- protesting? Yeah. Why are you protesting separation and advocating for integration when it's actually not necessarily a good thing for you? Now, obviously, looking back, we can argue against that. But I think that's uh, the counter to that is like, you know, look, I, yeah. you're, you're online complaining about some celebrity who said some random thing that was distasteful. And to have a mob rise up against that person is not necessarily on the same level as advocating for equal pay and not to be lynched. And Well, it's not only not on the same level, it's a categorical difference, meaning what I was trying to get, because what the counterexample just provided is perfectly within what I'm saying. In fact, what I'm saying is I'm going to, quote unquote, allow, because I'm the ruler of the universe, I'm going to allow any group protesting about anything they want at all times as long as it doesn't involve lynching an individual metaphorically or literally and the reason is because in our society we have protections for individuals specifically you know you're presumed innocent you can't just get, lose your rights uh, you know randomly and Mobs are not supposed to be able to do mob justice upon an individual. We have laws and, and uh, trial processes and things like that. So now it's one thing if you want to start a petition and say, hey, you know what? I don't like this show because this person doesn't represent these values. I think we should all stop watching this show. Don't, don't send your dollars this way. If you're with me, sign this thing and stop watching the show. You know, I love it. Let's do it. What I don't like, and it reminds me of people getting murdered on the streets when, I, when in the earlier years in Colombia uh, because the mob decided that that person had to go. Uh, what I don't like is we're going to threaten you. We're certainly, you're certainly losing your job. Like you and all the people that work on this thing, you're all losing your jobs. We're going to threaten you online, in person. We are lynching you. That, to me, is, is grotesque, and it goes against threaten you our... With, threaten you with what? With all sorts of stuff. Violence, uh, retaliation, insults, all these things. I think that goes against the spirit of the whole thing. Uh, imagine if, as an example, you know, because it can be used in both directions. So someone is trying to speak out against the rights of the workers in factories in, say, Flint or something. 
And then a, a mob, essentially, of factory owners starts doxing that person, insulting them, and, t- and, and basically gets them fired, right? Because they disagree with what that person is saying. That, that shouldn't be allowed either. So I'm saying that the, the protesting... I agree with everything you're saying except for being fired. I think that, uh, I think that under certain... You know, if Bill Cosby had a TV show while the allegations came to light and the media finally paid attention to it and the American public, it wasn't because the allegations had been out for, I I think, 10 years plus or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if if Bill Cosby had a job or if he was booked at a venue, I think he should lose that spot. Okay, so... Now, now, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it should be by law and I'm not going to necessarily judge a TV uh, station for going a different direction because I just don't really care personally. But but I if if they did lose their job, I'd be like, okay, well, I, I think that makes sense. Well, you don't feel bad for the person because you feel that that person is is wrong in the first place, right? But but here's a, another example. Let's say there there is a, a worker at a McDonald's. That person just just works at McDonald's, makes nearly above, barely above minimum wage. Um, some video surfaces online of them 10 years ago saying some pretty bad things, uh, things that we should be embarrassed about, maybe racial things, things like that. A mob of people shows up to the McDonald's and, and demands that person be fired on the spot. And then the, the manager reacting to that and out of fear probably fires the person. I think that's wrong. Yeah, I don't I, think I'm that's ne- right. I've never heard a story like that before. Well, well first of all, I have heard stories along those lines like what well there have been cases of individuals that did things that came out uh uh socially Tell, give me one well i don't i'd have to look up but they're, but they're, they've been fired from their jobs what kind of jobs all not, sorts of jobs not mcdonald's other equivalent types of jobs and probably including mcdonald's because like companies want to kind of cover their asses right yeah like so what i'm trying to say is like look you want to protest for for your your group's grievances Absolutely. Want to walk out? Absolutely. Everything is fair game. You want to protest about someone and let us all know how horrible they are from your perspective? Let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Well, Do you have evidence? But that's Absolutely. exactly what you're saying. You're saying that if a McDonald's, and I've never heard situations like this, I'm sure they do exist, but I don't think that's what is mainly referred to when we're talking about cancel culture. But, you know, if you had a situation like that, you have a group of people who get together and say, uh, "If I don't want, I don't want this McDonald's branch." I mean, let's be specific on a specific example. Let's say there was a uh, a white KKK member who mm-hmm. has a job at a McDonald's. It probably exists. There's prob- right. probably a percentage of KKK members who work at McDonald's, and this guy has a video where he's talking about white supremacy right. and about how you know he is a, of the pure race and he is a neo-nazi and he supports hitler yeah. and he works at a mcdonald's and somehow this video becomes viral uh, his name is associated with it and some black people maybe even a black coworker or you know someone around there says oh my god that guy works at the mcdonald's down the street um, and a group of people get together. They're outraged. They come down there and they they protest and they say, "We don't want this guy working at the McDonald's that we eat at." 
Yep. This guy wants us dead right. and supports Hitler. I don't want him making the food that we buy. Yeah. And until you get rid of that guy, we're going to pick it outside your McDonald's right. we're, and we're going to boycott you. Uh, so you're saying, on one hand, you support a mob for protesting, saying we're not going to go somewhere. But on the other hand, you're saying you don't want that person to lose that job. Well, I'm saying that that, that aspect of it is this kind of, the lynch mob against an individual, and I don't support it. I don't support it no matter who's doing it. Meaning, because you could give a different example where a video comes out of a McDonald's employee uh, saying how we should have free health care for everyone, how transvestites absolutely have rights, all these things. And a MAGA mob or something shows up at that place and demands that they're fired because they're bringing America's values down and blah, blah, blah. I don't want that either. I think that targeting an individual... A mob targeting an individual in an aggressive way, f- let alone physically and uh, you know in, in uh, real life. Yeah, I agree with I that. I don't like it, F- and I don't physi- like it on Twitter either. Physical, uh, yeah, I, I don't like that uh, one bit, and I, I don't like it on Twitter either, because just like with the would death you want to eat at a restaurant that had an active white supremacist who no hated Colombians? Yeah, and wouldn't. You and like I'm okay with I'm okay saying, like, I'm not going to eat there. I'm okay advocating for it and all these things. The, so it, it is a matter of degrees. And I'm not saying make it illegal. Okay, let me break it, let me break it down to a really yeah. small example. Yeah. You're friends with the owner. Right. You're not going to say, I don't like that guy. I think you should get rid of him. Oh, I might, yeah. Sure. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. I, so it is the same uh, request, absolutely. The thing that I don't like is mobs versus individuals. Because of the violence and the social turn that could happen. And the fact that in reality, uh, there's a lot of members of mobs that end up taking it the next step, like they show up at a pizza joint shooting it up because of some conspiracy online. Well, under any pretense that is immoral, semi-delusional behavior, uh, so uh, absolutely. And, 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 And that person would probably not have, probably not have had that, motivation if there hadn't been a ridiculously aggressive online community lynching quote-unquote that pizza joint you know yeah and that those owners now again i'm actually not again i'm gonna make this clear i'm not saying make any of this illegal you just asked me how i felt about it and i said it kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think that a mob can target aggressively target an individual ruin not only their career and in some cases sure i won't weep for some of these people absolutely but they also ruin the whole show meaning like everyone that works on the shows is a goner and uh i don't i don't like it i don't like the the amount of power that the mob has to do that to an individual and maybe a few individuals i do love the power of the mob when it comes to changing social systems right so and that's the question for the ages that sometimes we can't answer until we're 50 years <laughs> past the event, True. <laughs> uh, which uh, is hard to know when you're in the moment. Uh, there are, you know, looking back, if you were an average American during the Rev- American Revolution, uh, you know, it would be rational to say, we have a bunch of terrorists running around yeah. in our, our, you know, we, we are a British uh, colony. And that's just the way that it is. And you can't uh, start killing people because you want to separate, you know, uh, just be. And, and the whole pretense of that war was pretty questionable anyway. Right. Because it was like they wanted, uh, you know, representation and, and taxation. But really what they wanted was 
they wanted the taxes. Right. <laughs> they didn't mm-hmm. want the taxes to go to, to someone. To go somewhere. They, they wanted they wanted the taxes for themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but anyway. And, uh, and, and sorry, and, and now having you, said that, I, su- I support the revolution. I thought that was probably a good, retrospect, I- good right? idea. <laughs> <laughs> but like you have countries like Colombia and many others where, uh, it, you know, there were these revolutionary forces. They didn't succeed. And so in general, the the people look at it like, yeah, well, those are bad guys. Right. Like, well, it's because they didn't win. Right. right. <laughs> so there are two sides to this that I can think of. Number one is that some people uh, use the term cancel culture as a way of dismissing or uh, criticizing rational consequences for their behavior. So right now, we're dealing with the guy who was who was you know fired before he took the job basically at Saturday Night Live, and he uh, said the word chink. Did you did you hear the story? I so I I saw a little article saying Saturday Night Live person gets let go for something that he said, but I didn't know the details. Right. So they had used the word chink. So Saturday Night Live is hiring their new. Uh, you know, group of comics for this upcoming season. Okay. And they hired three new people. One guy is an Asian fucking American. Hallelujah. Uh, 5% plus of Americans are Asian Americans. We've literally never had an Asian American on Saturday Night Live. I mean, um, we've had people who were like an eighth Asian or something, but never anyone who was half, let alone full. And, and we're, we're going to get a, a full Asian American person, which is great. Uh, and uh, so... It's long time overdue. Twenty nineteen. Right. You know what I mean? But so, isn't it? Isn't it it's like Asians aren't funny? Right? Like that's why. Yeah. That must be the reason. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, you know, we're, you know, we're anyway. So <laughs> this, but one of the three guys was it was this white guy, right? Who, frankly, looks like a douchebag. No offense to him. Well, no offense to him. <laughs> um, he uh, this video cropped up of him. Uh, a year ago, talking on a podcast, it's sort of a riff. It's sort of like mm-hmm. you and me right now, and they're going back and forth. And his his colleague is talking about how in Chinatown, uh, it's terrible there, and all all the you know Chinese people, it's like they're disgusting and they're gross, and mm-hmm. you know, and they don't speak our language, and you know, just just like is this like a right wing thing or something? No, okay. this these are two comics, oh, okay. and it's vile. Okay. And then this guy who was just hired in SNL yeah. says, well, yeah, yeah. And he's totally agreeing with everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let the fucking chinks live there, he Yikes. says. Let the fucking chinks live there. Is this there. for real? This is real. How long ago? A year. This is now. Like, it just happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> one, it's not a joke. Uh, no. Sorry, I'm it's, laughing. I'm laughing about the ridiculousness. Yeah, it's not funny. <laughs> right. Okay. It, so right, that's not like. Well, I mean, he was he was being an extreme comic, right? Uh, no, <laughs> no, you're just being racist yeah. against my people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now people, and and then pretty oh. pretty soon out. So as that comes out, there's this big outcry, and it's like, hey, Lauren Michaels, uh, I don't think you should let this guy in the show. This is pretty yeah. awful. Have you yeah. seen this clip? I, I so by the way, so far everything you're describing to me seems fine because. Uh, it, it's, and I, I don't know. I didn't see all the things. Like, it's a little different from. Uh, I mean, this is like kind of very one to one. This person recently insulted a community, and they're now going to be on a show that we don't want them to be on. So we're going to request that this person not be hired for that job. But it's a mob of people on Twitter. It's, it's a mob of people on Twitter, and are, are they who are wanting a person to lose their job? Sure. 
But they're not asking for they're Saturday showing Night Live up at, to be canceled, for example. No, but they're right. showing up at the McDonald's and they're saying, we don't want this guy serving our food. I think you should fire him. Yeah, that's fair. Was it pretty aggressive? Uh, what, the mob? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was commensurate with his racist fucking statement. Right. Now, I'm sure people crossed the line and started, you know, giving him threats or trying to dox him or something, which, yeah. is, which is not cool. Not cool. But the average American... Yeah, so it's, it's not a black and white line, of course, because like I was saying, the, uh, first of all, I never want any of this to be illegal, number one. Number two, you just asked me how I felt, and I was like, I don't like it in general. But you're saying like, well, listen, this just... This isn't like 20 years ago or 40 years ago, this person did something. Now we want their whole show canceled. This is like a year ago, this person said horrific statements. Now they're getting this job for a public entertainment job, and people are requesting they don't get the job. Sure. That feels like a gray zone that I'd be comfortable with. In the same year that they finally, uh, and I'm guessing uh, somewhat on purpose, hired an Asian American after yeah. 25 years of, of be- people being upset about that. Um, and, and we should point and, out. And, and, oh. I, and I just want to remind people, there was another show called Mad TV that was extremely popular right. that had a ex- an extremely funny Asian guy on it. Yeah. Uh, so, and he was hilarious. Yep, yep. So, so anyway, uh, people were crying online. They were, uh, saying to get rid of him and what the, now, and they fired him. They, uh-huh. you know, within a couple days they said, yep, uh, we've decided, uh, we don't want him. Uh, he wasn't he was that, great. you know, he, he was, he, he, he passed the audition, but we didn't realize he had this sort of thing in his past. And so he's gone. Um, now then Boom. All, and everyone's all the people on our side are like, yay. And the people on the other side are like, cancel culture. And they throw this, t- this term out as if it somehow uh, negates or minimizes something that very much needed to happen. It's the same way that people are starting to use the word woke. Originally, woke predominantly was used in a yep. positive manner. Now people are using it as a joke. It was the same thing with social justice warrior. Right. And that was originally, I think, essentially a term of endearment or just a term, and now it's made to make fun of you. It, it'd be like if you know, gay people, set the, you know, the, the right suddenly decided to use the word gay in this really negative way. It's the same with homosexual. Originally, gay people liked the word homosexual, and they didn't like the word gay. Because gay was a derogatory term and homosexual was the technical term. Over time, right people are using the word homosexual in this very derogatory term. And, you know, being 48 years old, it's so weird to see the meaning of words change in my lifetime. And the the cancel culture has now become a dirty word. And what I want to say is... uh, It's a good thing. Cancel culture is a good thing. Now, can it go too far? Absolutely, which I'll get into. But let me give you some other good examples of of why this is, why cancel culture is absolutely uh, good, or it's just another word for fucking consequences for your behavior, people. 99% of comics or more have never said the word chink, maybe even in their lives. I mean, what if he said, let the fucking N-words live there? What if he was talking about Harlem and the, and the, comic, the other comic is, oh, black people, N-word, N-word, N-word. And then they're like, oh, yeah, let the fucking N-words live there. How fast do you think he would get, he would get uh, thrown off the show? The fact that, we're, that there was even a question about this is ridiculous. Well, I, and maybe I'm wrong here, but like, 
because you know I'm thinking, well, what if he said spicks and stuff? But like to me, the word isn't so much the issue as as the sentiment of the whole thing. No, the word's bad. Yeah, but, but like you're but, not you're not you're not Asian. Amerto, no, but so I know. Me. But it's I'm saying, what word. if it was like spicks or wetbacks or whatever? It's like so. The sentiment is what I care about. Yeah, a word is just a word. Well, the sentiment and the word was there. Sure. I guess. I guess what I'm thinking for about someone is, to use that word in that context, it, it, it just it says a lot. Sure. So it's just like the word, just like the N word. Someone can use the N word in sure. my estimation, uh, in contexts that are not considered offensive yeah. to uh, black people. Uh, this, this, it's. I'm not saying it's. I the feel word. like it does us no. It doesn't help the messaging to. And I, I realize this is unfair. But it might not help the messaging to the op- opposition if we overfocus on the word as opposed to on the sentiment, because the sentiment is nearly Naziistic, right? It's like yeah. group these things in this space and yeah. leave us the fuck alone. Yeah, and uh, and what? Okay, what their defense was, and I completely agree. Actually, the word "chink" and the N word, I think, should be completely diminished to just the letters that they represent. Uh, and the and the word, but it always is the sentiment that's, yeah. that. Uh, now, sometimes using the word, even in a, a a quote unquote benign sentiment, is basically using it in a malignant and sentiment. And I can see that for sure. Uh, you know, white people walking around uh, using the n word and saying, "What?" You know, I'm just, I'm not, I don't mean any bad things by it. It's like, well, uh, the sheer fact that you don't realize that you might hurt other people's feelings is is racist. And it's anyway. Other examples: Roseanne Barr calling a black woman an ape on Twitter. Her show gets canceled, or at least she gets kicked off the show. Kevin Hart, his routine about beating up his kid if he was gay. Right. He had a whole routine yep. that he thought this wasn't off the cuff. He had a whole. Now I like Kevin Hart. Right. But I don't like what he said, and he was kicked off of the Oscars or whatever. Now, right. do, I, I don't know if that was necessarily the best idea, but, uh, you know, that's, it's just consequences. At the very least, the Oscars are thinking, do we really want more bad press at this point? Yeah, but see, that's the... Okay, that's part of the part that I that makes me queasy because these companies aren't like that's true that is the wrong social they're like oh shit let's do the calculation let's run the numbers all right all right and what scares me about that is but the reverse is that in the past they didn't care because society didn't care but what if they had cared the wrong way i don't know look i don't know why for example uh this didn't happen or maybe it did and i'm not aware of but i could have imagined uh, petition uh, like, hey, this character in the show or this actor in the show is gay. And that that is the wrong moral message to send. And here's a petition of a, a billion mothers cancel this person, right? Okay. Imagine and, if that had happened, okay, right? And, okay, let, let's, walk, let's walk ourselves through this because this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. The answer to that question is that mobs aren't the problem. It's the message of the mob that needs to be put into question i'm not saying that as a society we should be like all mob ideas are good obviously that's not true some mobs ideas are good and who decides that we have to have a dialogue and figure that out as leaders you can only do it within the context of your time with the limited power you have right but i'm just saying like okay let's take a situation like whatever show uh, the roseanne bar show was on abc or something their executives 
let's say that at least half of their decision is based on like pre- self-preservation and profit. Mm-hmm. But let's say like at least some of their decision is based on, well, we're human beings who have morals and we have the power here to actually say something. Mm-hmm. And what do we want to be saying as a, as a group of, of leaders? Right. Well, they start discussing. So let's say there was a, a mob of people who got together and wanted to, um, you know, get rid of a gay character on a show. I'm sure that happens all the time. But the, but, and they said, they probably said to themselves, you know what? If we get rid of this gay character, we could probably make money because particularly back when Ellen was on or Will and Grace, most Americans were not behind a gay marriage. So they could have actually made more money, but they probably said to themselves, well, we're willing to take that risk at the very least uh, because this is the right thing to do. Now, I could be given the benefit of the doubt, but my point is, is that uh, the mob is not the problem. It's the message of the mob. And it's cultural relativism on one hand, you know, it's like, well... How do, we know, how do we know which mobs are right? How do we know which, which mobs are wrong? Maybe we should just get rid of all mobs. Well, that's what you need. So my point is... But we need proper leadership as thing. You need, you need leadership who can distinguish mobs that need to be uh, sort of pushed back on and which mobs need to be understood. Okay. And, and so I guess I'm proposing uh, that we, I want to have systems that we can all be willing to live with the consequences of. Like, for example... Give or take, our legal system is a system that we're all sort of living, uh, uh, willing to live with the consequences of it. And there's a lot of debates at the extremes of it, like the death penalty, right? And you know, one of the arguments I hear, like I, I, I tend, tend to be tend to be pro death penalty. Uh, I, I think uh, for a variety of reasons, but. There's arguments I've heard about, like, hey, there's a lot of false positives. A lot of people end up getting on death row that were totally innocent. Blah, blah. Uh, okay, great. So, so that's where, where we run and up against And those people the, happen to be a lot of people of color, by the way. Right. And so we run up against the limits of the system. Uh, but in this case, what happens is that we have a situation like Hillary. One of the reasons she didn't get elected is cancel culture. Because mm-hmm. some rumors about her went out. Some of it true. Some of it exaggerated. Many of it exaggerated. And a sizable mob of people echo-chambered their way into deciding that Hillary was the devil. But if that's cancel culture, then cancel culture has existed since the beginning. Since the beginning of time. Right. Yeah. So to your point, and I totally agree with you, this recent whole like, oh, it's cancel culture. Yeah, that's bullshit. That's not a thing, meaning we've labeled it, but it's always been there. It's definitely not a liberal thing that we're doing, you know. What I do think is, I, in general, I'm skeptical of, of, of masses, uh, mobs, especially when they're targeting individuals. Am I happy about this outcome with this SNL dude? Sure. Sounds like a douchebag. Like, get him out of there. But I see the double-edged sordid- sordidness of the whole thing, and, I, and it worries me a little bit. Other examples, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Bill Cosby, all victims, so, so to speak, or uh, recipients of cancel culture. Um, and I support it. I'd uh, also throw in... The gray zones, like uh, the congressman, right? I am. Yeah, so, okay. uh, well, the senator. That's so, senator, yeah. so the uh, so that's number one. <laughs> yeah, number one <laughs> is some people use cancel culture as a the quote the term as a way of dismissing uh, the rational consequences for someone's behavior. SNL, Roseanne Barr. I kind of believe Kevin Hart, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Bill Cosby. Uh, but yeah. There are definitely mobs of people who overreact or react to events without knowing the context. 
Senator Al Franken, for example. I recently uh, looked into that, the, the more Fresh Air or This American Life or somebody yeah. did a full in-depth uh, sort of investigation on that, and it looks like Al Franken was completely set up. Did, was he uh, pushing the boundaries a little bit? Uh, seems seemingly so. A little awkward, yes. But but <laughs> not on, not even in the, not even the same ballpark as Harvey Weinstein. But Al Franken lost his job as a senator. Uh, the Chinese dress girl who yeah. wore the you know, oh, the, know. the Hispanic girl, right. I believe, who who wore a prom dress at China. She got eviscerated on Twitter when she, most Chinese people didn't care. And so, uh, and she's a person of color. And she just liked the way the dress looks. Uh, This almost happened to Bernie Sanders, or it did happen for a bit. Uh, Do you remember the controversy with, uh, there was the, oh yeah, um, there was some scandal brewing about someone in his campaign that had been uh, a female that had been talked bad by someone else or some of that, and that he hadn't taken action. But when all the facts came out, it's like, well, no, first of all, he did take action when he knew. And like, like it was a non-issue, right? Like it was something that he actually did the right thing, right? But the the controversy was brewing and the, and the scandal was brewing. And by the way, of course, the other side that would be calling these things cancel culture you don't think they would leverage these things to their advantage? Of course they would, right? Right. Yeah. All right, let's take a break, and when we get back, let's continue answering people's emails. Hopefully they haven't canceled us by then. All right, we're back from the break. If a mob of cancel culture people <laughs> decided that they wanted you to become a patron out there, what would it sound like, Umberto? OMG, did you hear the latest? No, what? Oh, like I hear that people that don't support the Psychology and Podcast, uh, Psychology in Seattle podcast, are literally in league with the devil. Oh my gosh, I think that's true. Let's get everyone online. Did you hear about this? Yes, I did hear about this. Let's, let's cancel everyone that doesn't support the Psychology in Seattle podcast. Do it, do it now. God help us if we end up having. If we end up being the victim of cancel culture, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Uh, next email about rape fantasy. Uh, anonymous patron writes: The main reason I wanted to contact you was in response to your rape fantasy episode oh, some time back. So just chime in here. I think I might have done it with you, um, or I did it alone. There was an episode in which uh, someone asked about rape fantasy, and I did a look into the research. And there's a fair amount of research. You and I definitely talked about it, and. Uh, found that a lot of people uh, have had rape fantasies and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to rape people or that you want to be raped. It's just apparently something, uh, one of the things in the human repertoire of arousal, uh, mentalization, uh, or mental thinking. Anyway, I'm a woman who has been aroused by rape fantasy for as long as I can remember, even before I understood what sex and sexuality were. And, I, and I've spent a lot of time wondering where it comes from. It seems to be related to my anxiety. The more anxious I am in a general way, the more I'll be interested in rape fantasy over a more consensual one. I've concluded that at least some of the fantasy is simply a response to social issues. It's a situation where I can imagine having sex without having to worry about doing anything wrong or questioning whether hmm. the partner actually likes me or is just putting up with me. Umberto, what do you think? 
That is fascinating. So the idea being that, you know, there's so much societal pressure uh, and probably even greater on, on women and stuff like that about being proper or when you should or shouldn't have sex or when you should think about it, what you should say and do about it. And so in this case, it's like, hey, if I am being, if this is happening against my will or against my consent, uh, no one can question my motives or whether I'm being dirty or not dirty or anything. Interesting. I, I never even thought of that. Uh, and then the other aspect being sort of the, uh, oh, I don't have to wonder if this person's into me. Clearly they're into me. Uh, you know, so, or, or, you know, I think that's how I'm reading it anyways. I Obviously it's, from a one one side in my mind, I feel it's kind of a monstrous thought. Uh, not that the person thinking about it is a monster, just the idea of it is is monstrous in my mind. But the uh, but I do I, I see those those points, and I I do wonder if it's um, if it's almost ironically like a safety zone, like. Um, yeah, that's what she's saying. Yeah, like you know, so one thing I used to do, I don't do it quite as much, but. Um, I used to imagine the worst case scenario to quote unquote protect myself from the worst case scenario. Okay. Um, in sex or in life? No, 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 just in life. So it'd be like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, you know, whatever. Just like, oh, yeah, this could end up terribly in all these ways. And in my mind, the reason I was doing it was because if it turns out even mediocre, I'm ahead of the game because <laughs> it could have ended up in all those horrible ways. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of that, but, uh, it is fascinating. Yeah. It's totally normal to have rape fantasies. Research shows that about half, 50% of women have had rape fantasies and about 15% of women, which is about one in eight will have frequent rape fantasies. So it's extremely common. Um, as long as it's not a problem for you to have these fantasies, then I wouldn't worry about really where it comes from. Um, you can uh, you could try to figure out where it comes from, but I wouldn't worry about it. Like if you were really into doggy style and fantasizing about doggy style, you wouldn't necessarily care where it comes from. You're just like you know, well, I don't know, I'm in doggy style. And, and for but when it comes to taboo things like having rape fantasies, uh, it raises this question: like, well, wait, where is this coming from? And as you know, as long as everything's fine in your life and this fantasy isn't creating any problems, like you're actually putting yourself in danger of rape or, um, or you want to rape other people or something, then, then it's fine. Um, but yeah, uh, it could have come from a desire to let go and experience sensuality without having to worry about performing. Um, you know, letting go is actually a big part of sexuality. Uh, if, if we just look more broadly at uh, common sexual desires and fantasies, uh, there's a, a lot of really obvious examples of dominance and sub submission that are well below the threshold of BDSM. And uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of so sort of getting off on either side. So we're, we're both born with a desire to dominate and to have power. And we can use sexuality in a playful way or in a fantasy way to get that need met. But we also have a, a, de a desire and a need to have people take care of us and to have uh, to be able to let go and, and just relax. It's sort of like, imagine you get on a massage table and, and you're kind of tense and the right. massage therapist is like, Hey, I want this to be a time where you can just relax. Don't think about, you know, let all your stresses go. 
you're in good hands. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rub your muscles. I'm going to take care of you. Just take care of yourself. Right. Well, it's the same when it comes to sex. We, in, in life and in sex, we will ha- try to get those needs met through that. And so one of the ways that you can get that need met by just sort of flopping and saying, I, I just want to let go and have someone else take care of this situation. Being raped in your mind will kind of get that going a little bit. Now, of course, the vast majority of people who have that fantasy don't actually want to be raped. Right. Because actual, and that's what I really want to point out, actual rape has nothing to do, almost nothing to do for the vast majority, has nothing to do with the, for the vast majority of people with actual fantasies of rape. You know, what I say, actual rape has nothing to do with fantasy of rape. Yeah, they're, Fa- not, they're not in the same category. <laughs> no. Uh, fantasy of rape is... A fantasy of rape. It's it's a thought. It's in your head. You have total control over it. That's the key here. Yeah. You have control over your fantasies. You can say to yourself, I don't want to have that fantasy. By definition, you're in control. When you're being raped, you're not in control. Right. You don't have the control to say, I would like to stop this rape now. So it's not the same thing. It's like you are imagining a situation where you're God and you're able to say yes or no to that. When you're in the actual rape, you cannot say that. And so uh, rape fantasy is not even in the same ballpark as actual rape. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, it's possible that's where it comes from. And, uh, you know, it makes sense and it's fine. Do you think there's any correlation uh, with, you know, the women that end up – and I'm certainly not saying that all the people that have these kinds of fantasies. I'm just saying – you know the women that write and then end up being obsessed by these uh, killers, serial killers, killers in jail and things like this? Yeah. Um, do you think there's a little bit of that in their minds? that They're having this fantasy about what that relationship could be like or what, uh, and, and the difference between that and what the reality would probably be like, which is uh, they're having a relationship with a psychopath. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, it's definitely analogous in that to uh, send letters to a serial, a very dangerous person in jail as someone who is free and not in jail, you have, you have total control. Right. You can at any time just say, eh, I'm going to stop writing that person. And you're, you know, sure because the person's going to rot in jail for the rest of their life that you're, they can't harm you. Right. There's nothing they can do to you. And so you're in total control uh, that's interesting. I don't think I ever thought about it. Because it always has been a phenomenon that I've hypothesized about. Um, and, uh, yeah, that kind of yeah. makes sense, you know? It's like if in your regular life you find it hard to find someone that you, uh, you know, for whatever relational trauma, traumatic reasons in your life just have a hard time trusting other people or navigating relationships with other people, mm-hmm. um, having that kind of safety of someone in prison could actually facilitate an actual relationship that lasts for you in a way that you wouldn't find it normally. Patron Bronwyn, whom we know. Oh, and not only do we know, but she sent me one of those pedal board artworks. Oh, she did? With a, yeah, she, she decided I, I, uh, Deserved I one should too. have one too. And uh, she wrote me a letter and it was really beautiful and it was awesome. very nice. Yeah. She says, do you have any interest in doing a podcast on journals? Why a teenager might begin to keep a journal and why they would continue it is a good it is it good to keep is it good to keep them or destroy them 
It's a subject that I've thought a lot about, and I've been keeping a journal since I was nine and always encouraged others to do the same. You mentioned, Kirk, that you started journaling at 13, and you still keep a journal. Have you kept them all? Do you ever reread them? Do you allow others to read them? Uh, well, Berto, do you have any thoughts about journals? I mean, clearly, you are the journal master. I, what I will say about journals is I have tried multiple times uh, when I was younger to keep a journal. I've started many a journal, and for some reason, it never stuck. I never stuck with it. Do you still have it? I have many of the ones that I started, and I have pages, uh, varying degrees of of pages in each one of them. And have you reread it? I've gone back and reread some of it. Is it interesting to reread? Some of it is horrific, <laughs> meaning horrific as in, oh man, what was I doing? But some of it is actually really interesting uh, because one of them, it was uh, when I was, you know, stranded in the desert for the worst part of my life. You know, the, that 30, when I wrote uh, Save Me, that part of, that was when I was writing that journal. And that was really interesting to read because I could see the frustration and I could see the kind of the confusion in my head. And, and so uh, it's, help, it, it's been helpful. I've reread that maybe twice in the last te- decade. Huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I started a journal when I was 13 years old, 1984, and have journaled off and on to varying degrees uh, there are some years that I wrote only like three or four times, and there are some when I wrote literally every day. Uh, so, and yeah, I, I have them all. I never got rid of them. I'm a pack rat in that way. I have all the original pages, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have it sort of, because they were sort of written on all these random pieces of paper, and so I consolidated all of that into like a uh, an actual photocopied mm-hmm. book. And yeah, I read it every now and then. I don't read it as much anymore. I used to read it more often than I do now. When I was younger, I think I was more, I, I tended to, I te- and I think this is true for a lot of people, when we're struggling, I think we tend to journal more. Mm. Especially Also when we're alone, I think we tend to journal more. And when I look at my journaling habits, uh, when I was going through, not necessarily lonely parts of my life, but definitely less connected, less um, enmeshed, shall I say, with other people, points in my life, I would journal a lot more. Mm. Um, Like right now, or even for the past like five years, maybe longer, um, I haven't really felt the need to journal. And I think a big part of that is because my life has been going pretty well. I see. And and so, um, you know, a lot of what goes into a journal is like, okay, I'm thinking this over, I don't know what to do, I'm upset about this, I don't know who to tell. You know, it's sort of like a therapist in some ways. Um, But I'm actually probably a little bit out of the norm in that I would say a lot of my journal writing is positive because I I learned when I was a kid actually that uh, being appreciative in life actually really helps me to feel better, Mm. to appreciate what is good in my life, what is good in the world actually uh, makes me feel better. And then later, obviously, as a psychologist, I found out that um, that research supports that. Um, it's one of the reasons why I think we evolved the action of praying and appreciate, appreciating. And like mm-hmm. one of the major recommendations of prayers is to give appreciation, like to right. pray before dinner. Thank you, Lord, for this meal, that kind of thing. It just 
it just improves your mood because you're just like, oh, look at this. You know, you're not taking things for granted. Now, um, I, I wrote down why I journal and in a sort of list form. One is to get things off my chest. Two is to document because sometimes as you get I, – I like to document things. I, I'm mm-hmm. a little weird like that because sometimes Stacy will be like, what did we do for Valentine's Day in you know mm-hmm. 2013? And she'll be like, oh, when we get home, we can look in your journal. <laughs> because it's just kind of fun to know. Right. You know, like, because life goes by so fast. And that's one of the things right. that I realized in high school. I was like, life is going by so fast that you're not going to remember any of it unless you have some way of documenting it. And that's why I always had a camera. I always took pictures, even film, developing yeah. the film. I, whenever I had a video camera around, even those humongous clunky ones mm-hmm. in, the, in the 80s and 90s, I would occasionally videotape little parts of my life because I knew that one day like when I was 48, I would have no idea what that world looked, sure. what that world looked like unless I had some document of it. And, and, it I, and it's very hard to model you and synthesize you digitally without all that data. Yeah. Um, I also do it to process. I journal to process things. I'm getting things off my chest. I'm trying to figure stuff out. It's a big part of journaling. And another part of journaling is to make plans, mm-hmm. is to be like, to reassess, to be like, where is my life right now? What am I doing with myself? Right. Am I living the life that I want to live? Do I need to reprioritize things here? I'm, you know, I'm thinking out loud. It's, it's basically all the things that you would do with a therapist. Obviously, documenting with a therapist wouldn't be there. Um, to keep or to destroy is a question that I often hear, and it's really up to the individual. Um, the The pros to destroying your journal is you avoid people reading it, mm-hmm. and it can sort of be closure, you know, put an end to that chapter of your life, letting things go. Makes sense, and that's fine. To keep the pros there is you have it forever, and you might change your mind later on. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard someone say, <laughs> I wish I hadn't have gotten rid of that. Yeah, I feel that way about some things for sure. Especially once you cross like, I don't know, 35, 40 years old. You know, when you're 25, you look at this shit and you're just like, ah, this is it's all bullshit. Who cares? Yeah. Well, you're a kid, basically. <laughs> you get old and you're like, you know, I wish I had that stuff. Yeah. Um, Lita, actually who was the original co-host of this podcast with me and Umberto, she uh, was a prolific note writer in high school. Wow. She wrote she wrote everyone notes, and she, a lot of her notes she wrote to me. Uh-huh. And I would always write a note back. Um, whenever I got a note from her, I always tried to write her okay. back. She always had um, – she would do artwork and splatter paint and – like elaborate notes. Yeah, and fold it in weird ways. And, like those and, were the Instagrams and, and, you know, messages with GIFs of the day. Yeah. And I would write back to her. It was probably less creative than that, obviously. But uh, at some point in her 20s or something, in that sort of, you know, purge mentality and a, as a way of trying to put closure on everything, she burnt everything. <gasps> what? Or threw it away or something. She, yeah. just, she just got rid of it. And now... Boy, does she regret oh, it. Oh, no. Every time I show her some piece of memorabilia yeah. that we, you know, like, because I kept all the notes she gave me, right. or a lot of the notes she gave me. And sometimes I'll show her that and she'll just be like, I can't believe I burnt all those notes. Ah, oh. You know, it was just, it was just a, <sighs> it was just a shoebox yeah. of 
that chapter of my life and it was so glorious. Why did I get rid of that yeah. stuff? Now, uh, I'm not going to say that's everyone, but it's a lot of people. Oh, I had so I had notes, love notes from uh, my high school girlfriend. And I once I broke up, once we ended, I was like, you know, purge mentality. So I got rid of that stuff. Of course I regret it. I would love to read like what the heck does a teenager in high school write in a love note? You know, I want to see like what was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got all that stuff. So good. And it's hilarious. Oh, so good. I mean, it the 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 wisdom that I get out of reading my journal is uh, priceless. Yeah. Because when I especially now that I'm really far away from those teenage years. Yeah. I look at that person as if it's a different person almost, <laughs> but the basis of what my personality is there. There's, it's sort of like when you look back to when you were four and yeah. you, you can, like if you saw a video of yourself when you were four, you could probably go, oh, I bet you I know what I'm thinking in that moment, but you don't really relate. Right. But, but the, but you could see how in your <laughs> personal, in your current personality, it's sort of that whatever that was has morphed into something else and can be a pain in your side sure. sometimes. You know, like I'll I'll read something from when I was in high school and I'll just be like, Man, was I insecure and didn't and I didn't really know it. Yeah. Well, I would like to think I've matured since then, but I still have some of that. There's yeah. probably um, you know, a, a three to ten percent of that still in me of like Massive insecurity without really understanding how insecure I am. Well, another another thing that's so fascinating to me is um, the way we store the memories when we were really young. A lot of it has to be almost nonverbal because, you know, I have these memories from when I was three, when I was uh, even a little little couple of flashes when I was two, and then four or five, and the memories when I think of them. They don't feel or sound in my head like like some unrecognizable little kid's thoughts. They totally just feel like my thinking. But clearly I wasn't a 44-year-old thinking, I should destroy this house that my grandma built while I was at school because I am so upset right now. Of course not. But when I think about that moment in my head, which I remember, it doesn't feel foreign at all to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's when I just – it's so weird, right? And so uh, I could see that, like, of course, reading your, reading what you wrote, there's going to be a lot of things where, like, oh, I can't believe I wrote this sentence or whatever. But you're going to see that through line of, like, right. oh, yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, and since I've been keeping the journal for so long, I can see those personality traits morphing over time. Mm. And it also – it helps me today. So because even though – and, you know, I'm talking about teenagers, but, you know, if I read my journal when I was 35, yeah. I'm more mature than I was when I was 35. But when, when I read that stuff when I was 35, um, I'm obviously not that different from when I was 35. But I've, I've grown and I have perspective now on what I was going through in that moment and can look at that and say, oh, this is the mistake I was making. Yeah. And I can say, huh, I'm probably still making that mistake, but I, <laughs> but I don't know it. Yeah, or different categories. <laughs> and it really helps. I want to give a shout out to some of our most loyal and oldest patrons. These people go back um, this week. Whoa, we started Patreon exactly four years ago. This, oh, whoa. This week. 
What? That's crazy. And these are the people who are have been patrons for the past four years. Zoe. Woo! Juan. Woo! Kristen. Woo! Michelle. Yeah, yeah! Alessandro. Zoop, zoop! Elvin. Brrr. Melanie. Brrr. Someone called me. Bleep, bleep! Uh, Anna. Zaga, zaga. William. Whoop! Rebecca. Brrr. Emily. Deet. Uh, different Emily, not, not the Emily we know. Um, David. Woo! Uh, a, a long time st- or an old student of mine Veronica skeet skeet uh, skeet skeet Jody whoa Odani whoa you know Odani yeah an- another student of mine uh, Mich- another Michelle Michelle Mabel Rachel woof M- Megan ruff ruff Liz we meow, know meow. we know Liz by the way none of these sounds correlate with the people I'm just one another whoa oh, no, sorry Joan Joan I guess JoJo. If I go JoJo, get back JoJo. No, Joan. Cat. Meow. <laughs> Nick. Oh, Nick. We know. Nick. We met at. We met Nick at the second live at, show. At the second live show. Oh, so right. Nick goes way back. Uh, Kelly. Woo. Kate. Yay. Lewis. <laughs> Lyndon. Lyndon for the FBL. Lyndon. Lyndon was one of the very first patrons we ever had. Nice. Uh, so thanks so much. Um, and I thought we would uh, read the the most recent uh, patrons. We got Rose, Chrissy, Cornelius, Violet, Emery, Jessica, Cheryl, Adam, Anna, James, Aaron, Darcy, Guy, Isaac, Kate, Elena, Grace. We have two Graces. Did I say Grace? No. Uh, anyway. Yay! Welcome. Thank you for becoming a patron of the podcast. By the way, it occurs to me that through doing the podcast and songwriting... It's been a form of journaling for me throughout the years. Right. You know, because every time I write a song, most of my songs, many of my songs are self, you know, it's some, so either biographic or, or related to something I'm going through mentally. And, and right. a few of them are random. But, uh, but even the random ones are sort of like a little, like how I was feeling at that time, you know? Right. I actually, when I put my journal together in sort of a more easily readable form. I made mm-hmm. these like books, essentially. I could flip through instead of sifting through all these random uh-huh. papers. I included my lyrics just for that reason uh, because nice. for some years, I didn't write in my journal much, but I wrote a lot of lyrics, mm. which are telling of what I was yep. going through. Uh, let's talk about incels for once in, a, in, in our lifetime. <laughs> Patron Christine writes, um, there's a story Uh, So she sent this story from the news. Uh, January of this year, 2019, a Colorado man who complained on social media about being a 27-year-old virgin was arrested last weekend in Utah after allegedly threatening to kill as many girls as I see, quote-unquote. Was that the yoga one? I don't know. Okay. Uh, Christopher Wayne Cleary was arrested at a McDonald's restaurant in Provo on Saturday, after several women reported his Facebook post to Denver Police, uh, the Denver Post reported. He was booked in the Utah County Jail on making threats of terrorism, a third-degree felony. Jeez. Uh, the message on Cleary's Facebook re- uh, post read, All I wanted was a girlfriend. Not 1,000. Not a bunch of hoes. I've, n- <laughs> I've, I've never had a girlfriend before. Oh. I've never had a girlfriend before, and I'm still a virgin. This is why I'm planning on shooting up a public place soon and being the next mass shooter because I'm ready to die and all the girls uh, all the girls that turn me down is going to make it right by killing as many girls as I can see. 
some weird grammar there. Yeah. Uh, following his arrest, Cleary told authorities he was upset when he posted on Facebook and had deleted the post after receiving threats from other people. Uh, he also alleged making suicidal comments. Um, so he was saying he was yeah. suicidal time. He talked about handcuffing himself to a tree in the middle of nowhere where no one could hear him scream as a means of killing himself. Oh, interesting. Um, that's so dark. Patron Christine says, how would a podcast, how about a podcast about why news organizations insist on calling this guy a virgin who just wants a girlfriend instead of a terrorist? When, in, when, in, uh-oh. when Umberto says we need to have empathy for guys uh, just trying to get a date, as he did in the incel episode, he's asking women to put their lives on the line. Do you understand what she's saying? I do, but it's a it's an egregious conflation, and it's like... Can you explain her conflation? Because I don't know if the listeners next to her. Yeah, like, it's saying that... Um, well, in this case, it's like, hey, if if a guy is trying to ask a woman out on the street, uh, the, there's a high likelihood, or at least there's a decent chance, that that guy is an insult who wants to well, m- murder uh, maybe I can thousands explain better. of women and tie himself to a tree and die from starvation slowly while screaming. <laughs> yeah, but, and this but, is extreme. Right, but maybe I'm better to explain it because, uh, I don't know, maybe I just am, is that um, there's incels who are people who are involuntarily celibate. Yeah. There are some groups of incels within the incel community who are who are terrorists right. uh, who have actually killed people, including uh, you know people we don't want to name. But uh, there's been a handful of them who yep. have actually killed other people, and many of them killed themselves because this online community supports this idea that women and feminism is the cause of all their problems, and so. Um, you and I have talked about that. You agree that these people are bad. You agree that um, these ideas in this echo chamber are bad. But you also promote the idea, and I kind of do too, that a lot of these guys uh, need our empathy and need our uh, need us to reach out to them and say, "Look, we get that you're lonely, and it is hard to meet some, especially if you're a little awkward and you're not a nine or ten on the good-looking scale. It it can be hard." And uh, it it hurts, and uh, we need to uh, take it easy uh, and not necessarily demonize all of them. Um, I think you you've taken a more, shall we say, a sympathetic view to, to these people. I, I definitely have sympathy for them. I definitely have empathy for them. But uh, well, you, to be you, clear, you sometimes the- kind of defend um, some of their anger and their upsetness about it. What, uh, yeah, let me see. Obviously, I don't remember everything I've said. But um, so I'll just state where, where I think my position is now. Um, number one, is there a problem with uh, some portion, some percentage of males feeling disenfranchised from the sexual pool of life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is that the largest percentage? No. <laughs> That we would have a serious problem if that were the case, uh, and especially not in this country. But it, it's certainly a worse percentage in other countries where there are a lot more males than females. Sometimes socially engineered that way, right? In, in this country, it's 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 not an issue in that sense. But there is a percentage of folk that feel disenfranchised. Do I feel empathy and do I feel some uh, sadness for the fact that they want to have a relationship, they want to have sex, and they? can't for whatever combination of reasons yeah i definitely do do i think we should reach out to them and be empathetic and talk to them and help them out 
especially before they do anything stupid or mean? Absolutely. Uh, do I think that someone that does any mean, let alone destructive behavior, is uh, someone we should cry at night about and and just give him little hugs? And No, of course not. I am very right-wing when it comes to, to punishing bad behavior. Uh, so, no, I, I have zero tolerance. Uh, I don't mind what names we call them and stuff like that. It's just that there, there's a huge gap between that and saying, uh, look, it's it's burying our heads in the sand to pretend that all these people on these online communities are just pretending to feel that way, that they're pretending to feel disenfranchised, that they're pretending. They really do feel that way. They really do feel like they can't get a date. They really feel that way. And so that's where I'm saying, well, yeah, well, we should try to do something about that. But that's also very different from talking about what, guys can or can't do or how they should or should not approach women in general because there's a billion percent more guys that are not even in the incel community and so those aren't the same categories that that's that's where i get yeah riled up okay so patron christine i agree with your sentiment that uh, if the details of this story were different say you had a guy from um, Iraq or from Syria or from Saudi Arabia who uh, was in the United States, Muslim, and he was writing on Facebook about, you know, um, all I want is for uh, America to become Muslim and it's never going to happen. So I'm going to kill everyone and I'm going I'm to kill a bunch of Christians because um, right. it uh, because I give up and I'm going to then I'm going to kill myself. Well, the way we would talk about that story uh, would be, well, there's this crazed lunatic terrorist who uh, is disconnected from reality and is an enemy of the state. But somehow when it comes to guys like this who, uh, you know, they frame this story, it's like, the, you know, social media about a 27-year-old virgin, 27-year-old virgin, so it's like, does it matter he's a virgin? No. I mean, I guess it's a detail, but... Uh, plenty of incel people have had sex before. Um, Twenty-seven-year-old virgin was arrested last Sunday. Um, blah blah blah. You know, it so it sort of just paints the picture of, oh, you know, he's sort of a hard-up guy, and he made this mistake on Facebook, and he's going to be arrested for making these threats. Um, when they should really be emphasizing the fact that this is part of a movement, and he's a terrorist. He's a domestic terrorist, um, as terrorists go. I mean, that this is the definition of terrorism. Right. And uh, which is essentially you are going to kill you're going to harm random people because you want to send a message and you want people to be afraid and you want people to know that uh, of your political point of view. If That's not terrorism. Then we just don't have the word like the words. not used. Now, I will say the flip side is, which is definitely missing from our language, from our conversation, that terrorist that you mentioned that was the, say, Islamic extremist terrorist. uh, There is a backstory there as well. There is a community that they came out from, and there is a story we never talk about, which is because, you know, in this country especially, we're like, yeah, those crazy Islamic extremist terrorists that for no reason that we could possibly imagine have been indoctrinated to kill themselves and kill all of us. But there is a backstory. There is reason. There is a, a reason and a set of reasons why they're being indoctrinated and convinced when they're really young that their life is only worthwhile to basically blow themselves up and do crazy stuff. And we don't talk about it. 
We don't talk about what's causing it. We don't talk yeah. about our, the role we play about it, any of that stuff. And so it, there is a parallel there, there, sorry, when it comes to what our societal role is in turning a blind eye to all these uh, taboos, things we can't talk about. Like, even just the fact, and I agree with you, like, the note, it's burying the lead to say 27 year old virgin. But the fact that that sells is part of the problem. Right. And I agree. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. uh, so with the terrorist uh, hypothetical, or the, sorry, the Muslim hypothetical, uh, we should see them more like we see the virgin. Uh, and with the virgin, we should see him more like the yeah. terrorist. The thing I want to end with is just movies and stuff I've been watching lately. Uh, Berto, feel free to chime in. Mm. Uh, we recently watched Fracture, two yeah. th- 2007. Awesome. <laughs> uh, with Anthony Hopkins, Ryan Gosling. They had things. I think you gave it a five out of ten. I, I, I think you gave it a five, and I gave it a... Oh, no, no. He gave it a six. I gave it a five. You gave it a four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dark Phoenix, X-Men movie. Did you see what? it? Did you see it? <laughs> no. It's not bad. Really? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's not great, but I okay. gave it a six out of ten. I heard it was... Not good. Okay. That's because everyone hates X- it's the mob mentality against X Men movies. Okay, okay. And uh it's like would you Batman be- v Superman. would you not watch Batman v Superman based on the ratings? No. Okay. Well you know All the right. you, know, right, you got me. The exact You've same group of people who hate Batman v Superman hate <laughs> hate Dark Phoenix. That is very fair. However, I've had bad experiences with X Men movies. Before. Like which one? Uh three. The That wasn't terrible. I didn't like it. It wasn't great. It certainly didn't live up to the expectations. Yeah. But the reboots have been... Oh, I yeah. Thought, the reboots were great. This is one of the reboots. Oh, now, okay. of the reboots, I think this is this is probably my least favorite. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, maybe I should downgrade it to a five or something. But it was definitely watchable. And, okay. you know, if you like superhero movies... And you, I'll check it out. Um, After I watch Aquaman. <laughs> God, Aquaman. Uh, the Dark Crystal, the new Netflix You've series. You've been watching it? Oh, I started. So is it a prequel, a sequel, a I mequel? Can, I can't tell. Okay. Um, because the, it, I'm guessing it's either a prequel or it's a reboot. Okay. Either way, I couldn't get through the first episode. Oh. I loved the movie growing up. It yeah. was right up my alley. I was, a, I was a teenager when it came out. There was hardly any fantasy movies coming out at the time. Yeah. And this had just your classic fantasy thing. It it was very weird for the time. Mm-hmm. It's still weird now. Weird puppet animated people, or yeah. actually, people walking around in puppet. Anyway, but the the artwork and you know uh, Jim Henson, <laughs> Frank Oz look to the whole thing. It was it was just beautiful. And when I heard that Netflix was doing a series and maybe like an ongoing series, I was jazzed. Yeah, watched the first episode and I was like, wow. Either I'm too old for this shit now, or they fucked this one up, or this doesn't really get going until mm-hmm. maybe episode three or four. Okay. And so I just gave it a three and moved moved on with my life. By the way, uh, I read the Dark Crystal. So so when they made the Dark Crystal, they made a book out of it. And I, I when I was a kid, I always assumed that it was a book first, but it, in this case, it actually wasn't. They made the book uh, as a, in parallel to the movie or something like that. But the book was awesome. And I read the book first, and I actually didn't see the movie for a while when I was a kid. I loved the book because it spent a lot of time with the, the Uru and like the, the, the markings on their skin and how they had this musical uh, kind of nature to them and how they would harmonize with each other. I just loved it. And then one thing that I've realized as I've 
gone back and revisited books like that and books like the um, the Wizard of Oz is oh man as a kid first of all these books seemed gigantic to me right because you know you're just kind of you you know how to read but you your your reading level is nowhere near right and so they seem really gigantic and your imagination at that age is running wild so in my mind things that are actually only like one or two pages worth of text in my mind there was like this whole story about it and all these images in my head and all these things and i go back and i reread parts of it and i'm like this can't be the right book this must be an abridged version <laughs> yeah i mean part of that is novelty yeah you've had so many stories and images crammed into your head yeah that it, it it's well tread yes, ground yeah um Toy Story 4, I gave a 10 out of 10. Right. We talked about that one, and I fell asleep for part of it. It's not its fault. I was really tired that day. Uh, Having said that, I gave Toy Story 1 10 out of, I probably gave 3 10 out of 10. I've loved, you know, I gave Inside Out 10 out uh-huh. of 10. <laughs> a lot of the Pixar movies, I gave a 10 out of 10. Um, can you tell me what the hell is going on? Why is Microsoft constantly asking me to fix my account hmm. um, when uh, I don't... <laughs> It's like I've looked online and it's like you you have to like get rid of this one thing in your, you know, config sys and shit. It's just like that's come on, come on Microsoft. Odd. Like what's wrong with you? I will take a look. I in my uh I was actually shooting a movie recently on the old Microsoft campus and I was having to do the stunt where cuz you know those buildings they're all like demolished now. Oh. You know, you know that the original no. campus is like gone now. Oh. They're building a brand new. So there's just like all this rubble and I had to jump from like a scaffolding and land in the rubble like 10 stories worth, which can kill most humans. I'm just a good stunt double. And the thing is, I heard a lot of people complaining about these problems. Uh yeah, I mean, you know, Windows is going to Windows and it's not like Apple OS doesn't have its problems. I mean, the Apple phone was driving me crazy. That's why I went to a Pixel phone. But anyway, uh, The Boys TV show. Yeah, we ten talked out, about that. 10 out of 10, baby. Yeah. Wonderful show. Uh, uh, let's see. Mary Queen of Scots, a movie that came out last year. Oh, I still haven't seen that. I think it might have won the Oscar, at least nominated for costumes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Oh. It's it's historical fiction or, yeah. Well, it's, try, it's, it's trying to... Uh, tell the story of Mary Queen of Scots and mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth, um, and but is it stylized like uh, the the cho- what was that one the chosen one or the one that oh for the God. one we really yeah liked. yeah um, yeah the apprentice the uh, God damn it the, <laughs> the favorite the favorite yeah yeah um, yeah it, it, it has that look to it okay. for sure um, beautiful look to it uh, more traditional camera work the favorite had some wacky camera work yeah. In it. Um, I enjoyed the camera work for sure. Yeah. But anyway, Mary Queen of Scots, what it suffered from was the story. Like, it was, it was confusing. I had to actually watch a YouTube documentary about the real story mm. to understand what they were even trying to get at in, oh. in the movie. And it just seemed like the writers really kind of either were trying to bite off too much or okay. something. Uh, Charlie says, "Yeah, gave it I watched a, that. Gave it an eight out of ten. It's a recreation of. It's basically a uh, Charlie Manson biopic. Berto, what'd you think? Ah, I loved it. You recommended it. Um, I, I had been meaning to watch it. I finally watched it. I mean, I, I want to be cautious here. It's a horrible, horrible story, right? The whole thing is horrible. So, um, but I, I thought it was really well done. 
I, I found myself so angry watching it because on the or, or conflicted, I should say the the gal that's helping them, the social worker essentially that's going to visit the three women in jail. Yeah, I I, I commended her on the one side. I'm like, man, you're you're so incredible as a human being that you can have this kind of. What do you mean the actor or the no the uh, the, the, the person the the portrayal of that character in the sense that. I don't know how real that character that I that, think uh, this movie was based on her book. Okay, so I, I was thinking, wow, that takes a lot. So for people who haven't seen it, yeah. the movie is takes place in two timelines. One as this uh, young girl, like eighteen year old girl, uh, arrives in L.A. and joins the Charlie Manson cult. And uh, is assimilated in and gets to know everyone and uh, and then at the end commits one of the murders. And then the other timeline is she's in jail with two of the other women who uh, so they had three of the three of the Charlie Manson family girls were uh, separated from the rest of the prisoners. And the social worker would come in every once in a while and talk with them and uh, very gently and very slowly essentially try to deprogram them. And uh, you have to watch the movie because I thought it was played out really well. Yep. So you had a problem with what exactly? No, not a problem. I was struggling. I loved it. I was just, I was struggling myself with the, what would I do? Because the social worker is so open and empathetic and, and, and really trying to help those, those, the three women. But she does say at one point, well, she's trying to get them to understand what they actually did. Because she feels that that's a worse punishment for them. And I don't know if that was added out of kind of retrofitting the data or not. Um, because in my mind, I've, I, you know, I watched interviews, the real life interviews with uh, at least uh, Susan Atkins, both when, uh, both when she was being you know, taken into court, all that stuff. I watched it uh, when she was like a year later. I watched when she was like 27. I watched when she was in the 80s. And I that was the Sadie character. The Sadie character, right. Yeah, one of the three girls. Right. And I, I got to say, uh, until she was much, much older, I, I just didn't see a semblance of true understanding of, of her responsibility for what had happened. Now, um, I don't deny uh, brainwashing. I don't deny all those things. It's just that I personally find it really hard to care because I look but at don't like, you think? But don't you think they they sort of portrayed that well? Because like for Sadie, she never turned in the movie. Yeah, and she's pretty locked in. Yeah, like in the in the. I think I can hear a drone outside. Is that what you hear? I hear some some buzzing, like a transformer transforming. <laughs> it sounds like a. <laughs> Sounds like a or a or a weed whacker. That's but it's in bursts. It's like yeah, it can't be a, it can't be a a drone if it yeah. was anyway. Um, so they portray Sadie as someone who is a hardliner, Charlie Manson. Oh yeah, no. Again, I I for, they did an amazing job, and I I'm saying they portrayed it very well. I am personally saying that if I were the social worker, I would have me had a very hard time caring about those women at all and partially it's because in my head the math goes like this the universe is already a, a hard difficult place for so many people that didn't commit massive murders why do i need to spend all this time and care about you people that's well, how it would be in my head well okay and one could imagine that a woman 
in the of the times, early seventies, who was a, a emerging you know er, you know early feminist, right. is believing accurately, I think, for some of the women that these are women who were overpowered physically and emotionally and sexually and cognitively, and needed to uh, get out from under that. Maybe they stay in prison. Yeah. But at the very least, they deserve to be deprogrammed yeah. and, and have their own mind back. At the very uh, least, I don't know if they deserve that, but it is commendable that the social worker has that kind of human empathy. And do you think that Lulu deserved to have her mind back? I, I don't know exactly because it's hard. We weren't there. We don't know what was actually in her mind. We don't know how much of this was her playing along or not and so all that stuff. Uh, what I would say is that in the balance, there are unfairness. Unfairness happens daily for everyone, and in some cases to the extreme. It was extremely unfair for that uh, for those people to die in that way, let alone for a woman to beg for their baby's life and still be killed and her baby be killed. That is extremely unfair, uh, and it makes the unfairness of someone that went along with it and did the murders, uh, if they had been programmed, pale in comparison. Now... That sounds maybe callous, but we're also we're not talking about a child that was abducted and raised in a cult from the time they were a little baby. They were, in my in my uh, view, they were children. I mean, people below twenty five are kids. We, kids we try teenagers as adults, depending on the severity yeah. of the crime. Look, I'm not saying they should be let out of prison. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that um, a little, uh, and I think it depends on the person. And of course, you and I have no idea because. Right. We're just looking at it through a pinhole and a fence. Out of 10, what would you give it? Oh, the show? Yeah. Oh, uh, nine. I, I enjoyed it tremendously. Once upon a well, time. I guess I don't have a good, I haven't thought about shows like that because it's not like a, a series or something. Uh, at least an eight. At least an eight. It was, it was a high eight for me. Yeah. I thought even if you don't really, you're not really interested in the Charlie Manta story, I thought it was a. A very well-made movie. Yeah, very well-made. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 8 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I think I gave 9. Uh, yeah. Lego Movie 2, the second part. Lego Movie 2. Did I see that one? Uh, what, what happens in that one? Is that the one with the the Sistar system? I think, yes. Yes, yes. Um, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, not as good as the first one, maybe, but it was good. I would give it a, a, a 7. I gave it a 4. Oh, really? I was so bored. Okay. Oh, but you didn't... Did you I, even finish watching it? Uh, maybe not. Okay. But the first one, I I liked, but I did not like as much as everyone else liked it. Okay. Now, the Batman Lego movie, really I liked. loved. Yeah. I probably gave it like an 8 or 9 out of 10. Yeah. The Lego, the first Lego movie was great. Very entertaining. I actually really liked the ending. Uh, I probably gave it like a 7 or something. Yeah. Lego movie 2... Does not compare to the other Lego movies. I gave it a four out of ten. I I'm probably being too generous. I don't. I I, I gotta maybe rewatch. Well, I'm not gonna rewatch it. But if if I rewatch, then maybe I'd knock it down. But I, I didn't think it was terrible. Though. I, I thought it was. I mean, four. You know, it's not terrible. And I did like the first one better than you did. Bumblebee. You seen it? Bumblebee. Yeah, the Transformer movie. Oh no, I've I've not seen any Transformer movies of the Transformer. Of the Transformer movies. This is the only one, aside maybe from the very first one, that I would recommend seeing. Kind yeah? of, yeah. Who, who directed? Uh, Travis Knight. I guess. Oh, so it's not a Michael Bay. No, uh, no. It, it it is small. 
Nice. Uh, yeah. The, uh, this guy made the Kubo movie, Paranorman. Oh, okay. Box Trolls. I'll watch it then. Box Trolls is one of my favorite oh, movies I love Box of all time. Um, Bumblebee, I gave six out of ten. It's not amazing, okay. but it's small. It's understandable. It's cute. It, it has, you know, reasonable characters that get into difficult situations. It, it's a good movie. By the way, one of the reasons I love Charlie Says is because of the director. Uh, Mary Heron right. is the American psycho. So uh, a love-love relationship with her. Uh, let's see. Um, now yeah. I, I made a bunch of um, Shazam. Do you see Shazam? Shazam, yes. The, the DC Shazam, yes. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. What out of ten? I'd give it a seven. I gave I gave it an eight. I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was. I, uh, I, I thought it had plot holes and stuff, but I, I enjoyed it. It was great. I thought it was. Aside from the ending, when it got a little out of hand, I, I really liked this. Well, movie. part of the thing I didn't like about the ending is, uh, okay, so I get that they, there's this team of kind of uh, superheroes, but I feel like they kind of shot their wad. It was yeah, like, dude, we were looking for the Shazam story. Right. We weren't looking for. Because I didn't, of them. I didn't realize there even were more. Right, of them. and not only were they all, but they did, they all almost had kind of the same powers. Instead, they were supposed to have very kind of. Right. Shazam was the one that was supposed to have all of the above, right. and each one of the others was supposed to have only one aspect. Yeah, but it really felt like they were all su- super powerful. Right, and that's what all these people do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you look at uh, Hawkeye, it's like he's, yeah. he's basically Superman with a bow. <laughs> um, Alita Battle Angel. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. Robert Rodriguez. I did see it. Uh, what out of 10? Uh, so I, I kind of have a mix with this one because th- there's some aspects visually that I thought were so awesome. Yeah, agreed. And there's some aspects of the story that I thought were really interesting. Yeah. But then it was also it was also a little simplistic actually yeah and the plot was not that awesome the, the story was ridiculous <laughs> yeah the acting was terrible yeah yeah uh, Christopher Waltz looks like he's totally phoning it in <laughs> yep um, I don't know why they had a CG uh, star yeah like it, well it, most everyone yeah. else is is real yeah make her a real person like CGI is not there yet. Like if you're making a movie about somebody who doesn't have emotions, someone you're not really supposed to empathize with or someone that's a droid, mm-hmm. you know, like R2D2 can be a CGI, but because there's no eyes or expressiveness, you don't really care. They're trying to make us really care about Alita, the main yeah. character, and it was so wooden and mm. and the but mainly it was the writing. The the, the story was I was confused by a, basically a child's movie. Um, I didn't care about anyone. It was it was just a mess. <laughs> so there's an and, anime. And this is something that Robert Rodriguez suffers from. Like, yeah. I, I can't remember a movie where the script was yeah, yeah. was good. He 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 should just stick with what he's good at, which is you know kind of silly movies. So there's a there's an anime of this that is really good. And so one of the complaints was that man, this movie was already made and it was much better. <laughs> Uh, and so I, I, I actually felt uh, a mix of emotions. In the end, I, yeah, I'd probably give it a, a five, maybe a six. Uh, what did I give it? Four? Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, yeah, I liked uh, the first Spider-Man a lot, and I certainly loved the Spider-Verse Spider-Man. This one for me was a mixed bag as well. I 
thought the character as always uh, the actor did a good job Tom Holland uh, Tom Holland um, I love normally I love uh, what's his name uh, Brokeback dude Jake Jay Gyllenhaal yeah. uh, I, I normally like them like him a lot I think I think he did a decent job here but I really had some problems with the with the plot and I also felt that um, there, there were a lot of very very convenient things in it so most of my issues were were sort of like plot related mm. Uh, it also felt a lot smaller as of a, of a movie. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank God. Yeah. I mean, the Infinity War <laughs> movies are getting—they're literally about the universe. Yeah. No. And I and I hear you there, and I'm fine with that. I guess. I mean, this whole the thing about like, and I realized that that's what Marvel. I I, I made the mistake of actually watching like a, an hour long documentary on YouTube about the Marvel backstory. Yeah. Holy crap. What a boring pile of <laughs> shit that is. It is like, basically, it's about gods. Yeah, yeah. And about, you know, like Galactus. I, I realized, I knew Galactus was some <laughs> badass, but there's like, people more powerful than Galactus. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's this whole story. It's like, oh my God, who cares? <laughs> like, okay, so, it's so, so dumb. I agree with you there, but so I actually thank God you, that they did a small story. It, it wasn't even that small. It still involved like a few cities being destroyed. So let me change the wording I'm saying. I don't mean that it was small as in the plot wasn't hypergalactic. What I mean is that it felt a lot more like it was filmed on little sets. <laughs> yeah. And, and that kind of made it feel... Uh, too small for me and and not to do with the fact that they needed to go to space or any of that stuff. Out of 10. I would give it a 6. Yeah, I gave it a 7. I liked it uh, better than you did. I didn't think it was amazing, but I thought it was definitely watchable. And but why would you give a kid the keys to the satellites? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that was... that was pr- but And I, then he's but, got this perfect technology... That can fool everyone exactly, including with physical objects falling and everything right. flawlessly. Yeah. Um, right. That was pretty silly. Um, but it's kind of in line with Tony Stark in his brash, impulsive. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of makes Plus, it's always bothered me, the Tony Stark tech thing. It, it, he's basically, he's not just a technology person. He's basically a tech God. God. Yeah. Like, he can wave his hand yeah. and create literally anything Mass. he wants. Yeah. Like, Matter. from nanobots. <laughs> and it's like, come on, people. Um, Hancock, did you, have you seen that? Oh, you just saw that again with, or something? No, for first time. Oh, you've never seen it? With Will Smith. Oh, that's a fun movie, man. It's not great, but it's fun. It's, it was surprising because uh, I didn't expect, when I saw it, I didn't know it was based on a superhero or anything. So I was not expecting. Yeah, it was kind of before all that. It's 2008. Yeah. Um, today, I think we would have sniffed it out as a as some kind of anyway. What it, out of ten would you give it? I don't remember. I remember at the time I saw it in the theater and I enjoyed myself, but that there were it wasn't a, f- a flawless movie by any chance. I probably would have given it a seven. I hated this movie. You did? I gave it a two out of ten. Oh wow! Uh, it was poorly acted. Um, the story was not enjoyable to watch at all. But he can jump. Yeah. Uh, that was basically it. Uh, Killing Eve. Have you Maybe seen I that? I don't remember it well. Then. Have you seen that TV show, Killing Eve? No. Um, I watched it, and it's entertaining, and it's getting a lot of rave reviews. I gave it an 8 out of 10, but ironically, I got about halfway through the first season, and I'm not interested in finishing it. Mm. Um, what, what is the premise? What's the... The premise is that uh, Sandra O oh works for MI6 or... You know, she's like an American who works for the British intelligence 
people. And they have this woman, uh, Jody Comer, who is this like Eastern European assassin who is this beautiful woman who you never suspect would kill people. and, And she's a sadistic psychopath. She like really gets off on killing people. And she takes all these jobs. She's like contract killer. Yeah. And she always kills people in these fantastical ways. And um, Sandra Oh is trying to catch her. And is someone Eve or is that just like the oh, um, the I think the um, Sandra Oh character, her name is Eve, I think. Oh, okay, okay. And the uh, two of them start to kind of be fascinated with each other. The killer mm. figures out that this agent is trying to get her and starts to kind of toy with her. And they both have this mutual respect for each other. Okay. And um, it's it's kind of, in a way, it's sort of shot like a Wes Anderson movie sometimes. Okay. Um, so it has kind of this... Quirkiness. Like, yeah, quirky camera work and uh, set design and costumes. Um, so I really liked it for a while, and I thought I was going to finish it, and then I just sort of... I just I stopped for whatever... Me and my wife stopped for a little bit, and I just haven't felt compelled to go back. And I think part of it is that it's... It's just another like nihilistic story about people killing people, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I'm maybe beyond that. Um, <laughs> I am mother. Uh, did you see this Netflix movie? Mother? Uh, no, I haven't. Have you heard of it? You've talked. I, I have heard of it, but I don't know much about it. It's um, it's great. I, I really liked it. Um, Isn't it sci-fi kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Eight out of ten. You remember Moon with yeah? Uh, it's like that. Oh, okay. In that you have a robot. Is 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 mother an AI or something? Yeah, mother okay. is an AI robot, okay. and then there's this uh, daughter who is uh, uh, born out of a um, artificial, and mm-hmm. the AI is trying to train her to repopulate the planet. Oh, because everyone like everyone's dead. Yeeks. And um. And things start happening, and it starts to kind of get a little bit like 2001. And it's taking place on Earth? Yeah. Okay. I love it. I want to watch it. And But it, it's it's interesting because the tension's real, and it's hard to know who's right mm. in the end. Okay. And it's also hard to know if the AI wasn't planning the whole thing from the beginning or something. And I feel like Netflix puts out these movies that are – you know, they just sort of fly by the media. Yeah. And they put out so much stuff. And if this came out in the theaters and it was put out mm-hmm. by Universal or mm-hmm. or Fox or something, and it had all the normal rollout and the the interviews and the appearances on, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and yeah. stuff, I, I think we would – so many more people would be talking about this movie. And it kind of bums me out because I feel like this movie um, should be getting so much more talk. Yeah, so so um, one thing that I've been thinking about recently <clears throat> is I think Netflix screwed themselves up a little bit with their sh- with their shows, their series, by making it all the episodes available all at once. Because on the one hand, that's you know so much so much of that was cool, like oh I don't have to wait, I could just binge, we can you know all these things. But it's got two side effects that I think ultimately in the long run aren't that great. One of them, and especially for them, one of them. When a show comes out on Netflix, <clears throat> there's this initial huge spike, right? Oh, uh, and not just Netflix, like Prime, right? Like, oh, The Boys is out or, or on Netflix. Some series is out. And lots of media, lots of chatter. But because everyone's binging it, it only lasts like a week. 
And then maybe a week after that, people are still talking about it. But then no one's still watching it because they binged it until like two years later and the next thing comes out, right? Whereas when the Game of Thrones or, or the Surprise series that you have to wait for, wait for, wait for, the conversation keeps going, the conversation keeps going, the conversation keeps going. That's one thing. And the second one is because there's so many of these series and they're all binge watched, you try to have a conversation with someone. And it's like, hey, what are you watching? Oh, I watch such and such. Oh, really? Is it good? Yeah, you should watch it. Oh, I'll start. We can talk about it. Well, I already binge watch all the episodes. So sure. After you're done spending three weekends binge watching, we'll talk about it. And it, it limits conversation. It limits that fun together. So I think that it's, it's worked detrimentally. And I'm happy that Disney is not going to do that. I'm looking forward to the HBO model. There's my soapbox. <laughs> so are you going to subscribe to Disney? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, for The Mandalorian alone. Yeah. Uh yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, on one level, um, I think the Netflix model is not to have media around different episodes, but to have media about uh, releases. So it's like, yeah. okay, this week it's our Stranger Thing release, and next week it's our Killing Eve release, and next week it's our, you know, whatever. I think Killing Eve is actually on Amazon. But, um, you know, I just wish that Netflix actually spent money on cuz cuz you know movies are released by the big studios sometimes yeah. without any fanfare because they they just don't really believe in it and they they gave up on it yeah. or they didn't invest that money in it to begin with um like a movie like 8th grade for example i don't remember ever seeing a trailer for that movie yeah um and so big studios will do that sometimes but with their big names which like ad astra is coming out uh, yeah. this week and that's a similar i think it's a similar movie to i am mother and, you know, it, it's, it's getting all the press. Um, next movie, uh, Booksmart, came mm. out this year. Did you see it? No. You have to see this movie. Okay. <laughs> Olivia, Olivia Wilde directed it. <gasps> oh, nice. And I gave it 9 out of 10. I, I consider it one of the best movies of this year for sure. What? Yeah. Um, Booksmart. Okay. Books, Booksmart. What, what's yeah. the premise? It's a, okay, I'm going to tell you the premise and you're going to be like, huh? Like, <laughs> that's an old premise. Okay. Uh, two girls, it's their last day of high school and they are have been friends and they've been uh, sort of book nerds trying to prepare for college uh-huh. all four years of high school and they've, they've denied having fun. Mm. I mean, they had fun together, you right. know, studying and watching TV and listening to music and stuff. But they never went to parties. And so yeah. this night, they're going oh. go, to go to a party. Hey, that's an old idea. <laughs> right. This is like age old. Yeah. But man, this movie takes this old premise really? to new heights. Okay. Uh, the, one of the girls is, is queer. One of, the, one of the girls is gay which adds a little twist to it. Also, the asshole jocks aren't actually asshole jocks. Nice. They think they're asshole jocks, uh-huh. but then they actually, through the machinations of the evening, discover that... Um, well, don't ruin it! <laughs> yeah, I can't. Okay. There, there, there's yeah. no way to ruin it other okay. than to say, it's on baseline, it's a fun movie. Okay. There's one aspect of this... can't wait to watch it now. There's one aspect of this movie that is shockingly... Uh, Unwoke? Yeah. <laughs> so should I should I watch it? Should we do a little mini episode or talk about it in the future? Maybe. Okay. You know what I also have been wanting to do because I've been uh, re-watching Sopranos. Oh. Is... 
Them's fighting words. So I have oh. I have the technology now where we can do video episodes oh. and show clips. My nipples are hard already. <laughs> and one of the things I was thinking about doing was maybe we could even just do it by season because there's so many episodes. Oh, yeah. And we could... We could pick specific episodes. Well, no, right? what I was thinking was, so just let me throw it out there, is we... Well, geez... Because it would take so long. I mean, one one way we could do it would be to just start doing it and see how long we could get in an hour and a half or something and then just pick up where we left off another day or something. And uh, we would watch the clips and then uh, we would find like a section to play for the audience and then talk about it afterwards. Um, Especially the sessions that between Dr. Melfi and, and Tony Soprano. There's so much to talk about there, uh, not only from her technique, which right. I find to be <laughs> horrific. Um, <laughs> and but, we can, and, yeah. But also, like, well, where is she trying to, like, what's she trying what's she to do? Trying to do yeah. Like, what method is she using in this moment? And we can show clips of his family relationship, his relationship with his uncle, his relationship with his mother, his yeah. relationship with his, his uh, direct. <laughs> well, we'd have to be somewhat selective. Otherwise, we'd just be watching the entire yeah, series. Yeah, but, you know, these are, like, you know, there's but only. Especially his mother. So his yeah, mother. Yeah, there's a handful of scenes with his mother. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Other movies that I have seen recently, um, Rocket Man, Chernobyl. Um, oh, Always Be My Maybe. Oh, Rocket Man. By the way, did we talk about this already? Yeah. Did, did I already but, give my complaint? Yeah, okay. but you haven't talked about the concert you went to last night. Oh yeah, that's true. I went to a neat concert. It was Elton John. It was the Farewell Yellow Brick Road concert. He's been doing this like uh, farewell concert tour. <clears throat> it was awesome. Um, I rated it probably eight McCartneys out of ten. Um, and he was very energetic still. He played piano beautifully. Uh, his voice range is certainly not what, what it was when he was young, but uh, he still sounds great. He keeps it within his range. His band is quite possibly the best part of the show. Yeah. Other than the songs themselves. Like, the band is so good, and they're all these, like, Old fogies. One of them is uh, the original drummer from the very start with him. But then all these people, they're all very up in in their years. And they're amazing. Really amazing. Like the guitarist, the bassist. They had two drummers, a percussionist, a conga player, a keyboardist, and Elton. Yeah, it's always funny to see those extra players because you see, oh, that's what Elton John would look like if he didn't care super about the way he looked yeah <laughs> it's like the drummer for elton john i'm just going to take a guess if you just saw him walking down the street you'd be like oh that's a 65 year old dude yeah he and he's not a rock star right he's just he's just an old guy right uh and but elton john is the same age <laughs> but elton john does <laughs> not look like a regular 65 year old guy right. he's wearing crazy hats and glasses and things right yeah, but actually, was, Elton John is probably like what seventy by now. Oh, he's older than that. Yeah, really. Yeah, probably seventy four. But um, his uh, the visuals were also really great, and they had this one song that he was doing, "Burn Down the Mission," where on the big screen when he's playing the piano, the piano looks like it's on fire, like they were doing these AR effects on it, oh. and it looked fully like it was on fire. And they had these incline uh, project um, screens. So along the like behind him on the actual stage, you could also kind of see flames. 
So, of course, if you looked at the actual piano on the stage, it's not on fire. Duh. But if you, but, but it looks like there's flames right behind it. And then if you look at the big screen, it's all on fire. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so, yeah, it was really good. The other thing is I didn't know a couple of things. I, I, one of them is he's super involved with AIDS, um, AIDS prevention, AIDS awareness, AIDS donations, AIDS, all these things. Uh, he showed video clips of his involvement in Africa, all these things. Really amazing. Um, and the other thing is he was so – he talked to the audience a few times and he was so in love with the audience. It was great. Like, really nice. So, anyways, great, great show. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Berto, sing us an Elton song to take us out. It's a little bit funny. The podcast is done. I wish it was longer, but I forgot what to say. Anyway, this is over, so you should... Take care of yourselves, cause you deserve it, and this song is done.